0: You're listening to Civic Conversations, a podcast collaboration between the League of Women Voters of Bloomington Monroe County and this station, WFHB. I'm Jim Allison, your host, and Becky Hill is our producer. We're very pleased to say you can find Civic Conversations every month on WFHB at both 93.1 and 98.1 FM. Today, we welcome Shruti Rana, who is a professor at Indiana University's Department of International Studies with a specialty in international law. And she holds degrees from Columbia Law School, the London School of Economics and Politics, and my alma mater, UC Berkeley. And she's here today to talk with us about immigration issues. Welcome, Professor Runa.
1: Thank you. It's great to be here.
0: And what could be more timely? Just a couple of days ago, we have the Texas governor and the, the Florida governor rounding up illegal immigrants and shipping them north on the public tab to places like uh, Massachusetts and Washington, D.C. and Chicago uh, and New York. What's going on here? So a lot of people, in fact, are saying this is a lot like kidnapping. What do you think about it?
1: I think this is how heartbreaking and outrageous. We're seeing human beings being used as political props for a political stunt. Um, what these governors are doing, we've actually seen this before during some of the most embarrassing points in American history. Um, for example, we had white citizens councils during the Jim Crow era that would try and move people to northern states with fewer Jim Crow laws, again, as a political stunt. We saw this happening um, at the end of uh, d- during the Civil War period as well. and. And again, it's just it's just outrageous to fail to treat people as human beings, especially people who have come to the United States because of the promise of freedom, of humanity, of civil and human rights, and to treat them in this manner. And, you know, not only that, we see that there is some evidence coming out that the governors um, duped or at least misled um, the people that they put on planes. We know that they spent vast amounts of taxpayer dollars. And it's even unclear what they were trying to do, again, except to um, use people's political props.
0: Okay, thank you for that. Um, Once you start digging into immigration, you're going to find, as I did, that it's connected with so many other things. And let's start with something we're all familiar with, just for an example. Let's start with the pandemic. Has the pandemic affected immigration? What do you think about that?
1: Yes, the pandemic had a virtually unprecedented impact on immigration worldwide. So we saw both in the United States and around the world that nations literally closed their borders, again, in a way that we have not seen um, even back looking back to World War II. So that meant an abrupt halt to almost all forms of immigration um, around the world. We saw families and people being caught in limbo, right? Some people were just on trips, unable to return home. We had children in schools, unable to go back home to their families. And um, so we had a tremendous human cost from all of that, in addition to what was actually happening, one of the things we saw during the pandemic, especially here in the United States, was the pandemic being used again as a political prop to um, expand um, people's grievances against immigration, right, to further target immigrants as if they had something to do with the causes of the pandemic, both within the United States, as well as um, we saw the pandemic being used as an excuse to institute Conian laws laws that didn't have anything to do with public health or were science-based or even had um, you know um, any reason for us to believe that they would be effective in in any of their stated goals but were really about stigmatizing immigrants trying to blame them for the pandemic and trying to keep people um, using this as an excuse to keep people from immigrating to the United States.
0: okay let's talk a little bit about federal immigration policy and federal immigration practice uh, specifically do you see any major difference between the Trump presidency and the Biden presidency there
1: yes there's a very big difference um, we've seen a virtual 180 degree turn so again during the Trump administration immigration was highly highly politicized and immigration um, immigrants were targeted to be stigmatized and used as scapegoats for many of the problems that the United States faces. And we saw some laws that, again, um, really, I think, um, you know, had a big impact on the views that people abroad had of the United States. Like we saw the Muslim ban. We saw other things like that um, really targeting immigrants. Um, In addition to horrific policies like the family separation policy, we saw the Trump administration implementing. So the Biden administration has tried to undo the worst of the damage. Whatever they could um, turn, you know, um, um, roll back or um, turn back, they have tried to do that. But what they've been able to mostly do is incremental changes, right? A lot of these things have far reaching consequences that you can't just flip a switch and, you know, put the genie back in the bottle, so to speak, and try and um, undo what has happened. Um, So we see that the Biden administration is making a lot of attempts to um, address some of the huge problems that were caused during the Trump administration. But largely, the administration is making incremental changes, changing things at the margins or trying to undo the worst of the Trump administration. And many serious problems in our immigration system remain that are not being addressed that we do need to address.
0: Okay, you mentioned our child separation policy. Can you talk about the political impact of our child separation policy?
1: I think that political impact can be divided into, um, two parts. One is the impact that it had globally. Again, it really reduced the stature of the United States in the eyes of the world. And it showed the United, it showed the world that the United States was willing to treat people, um, in ways it said it would never do and in ways that directly conflict in the most obvious ways with our constitution and our values. So I think that had a tremendous impact on U.S. standing abroad and correspondingly on U.S. power abroad. Um, within the United States, I think it had um, a different effect. And the effect in the United States was really gal- galvanizing, right? It put, um, you know, direct faces on um, it made extremely visible what was happening in immigration and what the human cost of our draconian policies and the stigmatizing and targeting of immigrants was happening, was having on people. And I think, you know, almost every American cares about children and cares about tearing families apart. And I think so many people couldn't believe that this was happening, that they were seeing this happen, that it had come to this. And it proved to be a galvanizing political force where I think um, mobilizing more and more people.
0: Okay. The politics of immigration, they can be quite divisive. And it seems to me that after years and years of immigration as usual, or so it seemed to me anyway, why has it become all of a sudden such a huge political issue? The issue, a major issue of our times.
1: So I think that you're right that the underlying um, causes and impacts of immigration haven't really changed aside from some of the things I mentioned about the pandemic. So what you really saw going on was a political change, right? That again, immigrants were being used as political props. And one of the things that we are seeing, I think the main reason for what we're seeing in the United States is rising political extremism. This is something that you see we are seeing worldwide. When you have a rise in populist authoritarian, um, nationalism, all of those things are predicated on this idea of who is entitled to citizenship in the nation, who is a part of a nation and who is not. And those in populist, authoritarian, and nationalist movements, that is always premised on exclusion. And um, the primary targets of these movements of exclusion are immigrants, people of color, women, LGBTQ individuals. And we see, again, all of these groups being used as political props in order to exploit grievances, gain political power um, by scapegoating and stigmatizing people who aren't able to fight back as much
0: okay let's talk a little bit about the economy everything seems to affect the economy can you name some specific economic effects of immigration
1: we think that immigration has a lot of effects on the economy, and they're primarily positive. So new people, young people, people who are working people coming into an economy, as is the case in the United States, increases productivity, it increases economic growth, um, it increases consumer spending, it increases dynamism and innovation in the economy. So overall, we see large economic impacts um, that, um, again, are mostly positive. We also have the immigrants that are coming in that are taking um, that are um, coming in and building new businesses, you know, pursuing education, um, holding jobs. They are also paying into the U.S. economy in so many different ways. They're paying taxes. They're paying sales taxes. They're paying into Social Security and other funds um, where they're not entitled to actually receive benefits, right? So they're in in many ways, they're contributing to the US economy um, and economic growth in so many different ways.
0: Your comments make me think about corporations. And I know that one of your major concerns is corporate responsibility for matters of immigration. What are your thoughts on that?
1: So I think corporations have a big responsibility to think about immigration, to stand up against the worst of the policies and to try and impact immigration policy. And um, the reasons are many. So corporations are made up of employees and shareholders. They have obligations to treat employees the same, whether they are immigrants or not. They need to think about the growth of their workforce. They need to think about, um, you know, who they are selling their products to, what they are doing for their shareholders. Um, Immigration policy affects all of those. It affects their bottom line and it affects their responsibilities to their communities and their stakeholders. So I think it's a big part of um, all corporations um, in terms of they have a responsibility both to keep abreast of immigration policy, which I think most of them do for all the reasons I've mentioned, but also to stand up and speak about speak out against the worst of the abuses, because all of those abuses, in addition to the political impacts and kind of reducing the power and stature of the United States, they have an economic impact and they impact the employees, the workforce, and, um, and the consumers and people who are buying the products of these corporations. And so um, I think they need to pay attention to and take action on these issues.
0: All right. Let's talk about root causes. What do you think if there is one, is the root cause of illegal immigration to the United States. And a related question, who's supposed to fix all this? Is it it the president? Is it the Congress? Who's supposed to be responsible mainly for this problem?
1: So the root causes of all immigration are similar, right? The root causes of immigration around the world and into the United States are climate change. It's people fleeing war and persecution, um, people fleeing economic problems or coming to the United States for jobs or education or to reunite with their families. And the difference between who is deemed legal and who is not has nothing to do usually with the actual person. It's just dependent on what country they happen to come from and what passport they hold. So this is really again going back to a political failure and this is why we created the um, international immigration refugee and asylum system after World War II. So if you think about um, it was started in the wake of people fleeing the Holocaust. All of the um, for example the Jewish people who were fleeing Germany during the Holocaust were by definition um, didn't have documentation and papers because they had been stripped of their citizenship in Germany. So again that was a political act by their government it didn't have anything to do with what the people themselves were doing. So when we look at it in that light, we can see that all of us have a responsibility to um, think about the best way to collaboratively and cooperatively um, address immigration, right? And looking at facts and evidence and basing our policies on those things. So the president has an obligation um, to set US foreign policy to also um, oversee the US immigration system and help make that policy. Congress actually has the power to implement the Immigration and Nationality Act, which governs um, immigration into the United States. And then we as people and community members have an obligation also to work together and figure out. How do we address immigration and think about immigration as, you know, looking for um, solutions, right? Looking to um, problem solve around issues to recognize the value that immigration brings to this country and think about um, how to improve the system as opposed to use it for a political gain.
0: Okay. You have mentioned the president. You have mentioned Congress. What about the judiciary?
1: The judiciary actually has a limited role in um, in immigration policy, and their role is supposed to be limited limited to reviewing policy and making sure that it fits within our legal system. So one of the problems that we're seeing with the judiciary um, at many levels addressing immigration laws is that, pe- that um, we see a lot of judges and courts really departing from the rule of law and turning these decisions into politicized decisions as opposed to looking at our precedents and looking at what our laws are supposed to be doing. And this is really damaging because when we think about how our courts are interpreting and reviewing immigration laws, we have to remember that immigration laws are part of U.S. laws. The Immigration and Nationality Act is a federal U.S. statute. Um, All of these laws are American laws. And if we damage and fail to follow our own laws, even if we think we're doing that to target immigrants who might be non-citizens, we are actually damaging the rule of law and the legal system for all Americans. And the implication spread beyond the immigration system. And we need to be aware of that. And we need to think of that. We're we're only as strong as our weakest link, right? When it comes to the rule of law. And we need to understand um, the devastating impacts that, um, you know, reinterpreting or misinterpreting our laws or failing to follow our constitution or the rule of law can have for all of us.
0: Right. I'll say amen to that. Um, I wonder if I could get you to talk about our melting pot heritage. Do you think that immigrants truly bring unique value to our society? What are the pros and cons there, do you think?
1: I do. I think immigrants have brought tremendous value to the United States, and we have a really mixed history, right? I don't want to discount the impact of settler colonialism and um, and the various ways that people were forcibly brought to the United States, as well as um, you know what happened um, to people within the United States, um, as well as how we've treated immigrants over time. So again, I think there are so many ways that immigrants have helped build the United States, have contributed to the vibrancy and innovation. Um, Um, and growth of the United States. But I think that we need to understand that the way we treat immigrants is a reflection of who we are as a society. And it says a lot about how we treat one another. Um, We know that most Americans have immigrant roots. and, um, And if we are continuing to scapegoat and deny immigrants human rights, then what does that say about who we are as a people and what our future is going to be?
0: Okay. One final question. Uh, there's a significant backlog in the processing of deportation cases. And I believe asylum cases are a big part of that uh, immigration problem. I wonder if you could talk about that a little bit. Um, before you do, correct me if I'm wrong. My understanding is that oh, back in 2010, we had a backlog of about 100,000 asylum cases. And that's uh, ballooned into a present-day backlog of something like 660,000 asylum cases. Um, What's happened there and what can we do about this kind of thing?
1: Yes. So we have a tremendous backlog of both asylum cases and immigration cases at all levels of the system. And as you note, this is a tremendous problem. Um, but again, um, this is not a problem based on that. The increase in the backlog is not due to increases in the number of people coming to the United States or seeking asylum in the United States. It's due to the fact that we keep arbitrarily often changing and flip-flopping on our laws, right? We'll have one pres- presidential administration that does one thing. Someone else will be voted into office and flip-flop on the law and change. It. And all every time something like that happens, the cases have to be um, you know, the laws, everything has to be reevaluated and redone, and it creates bottlenecks in the system. And we have a system that's not intended to get people through fairly and quickly. We have systems that are, you know, in many cases arbitrarily deciding who gets to stay in the United States and who doesn't, and you know, treating these incredibly serious claims, right, where people are fleeing personal and political persecution and they come to the United States and our legal system, you know, we have children who end up in court by themselves and who are supposed to re- res- um, represent themselves and they don't, the, you know, they're too young, you know, they're toddlers, right? Yeah. They don't understand that they're in court. They're not able to defend themselves. All of these things, all of these, you know, inhumane practices um, create bottlenecks in the system. So what we need to do is think about how we can, um, you know, look at the facts, create a system that is meant to be, um, you know, applying our laws, following our laws, you know, that is rational and like based on facts as opposed to one that is constantly flip based on ideology or politics. And I want to say also that the backlog has a tremendous impact on people because being stuck in the immigration system means some, you know, you might be waiting in another country waiting for a visa to come to the United States, or you might be in the United States unable to work or get uh, permanent residency papers because your case is winding through the system. And when these relatively simple cases, um, well, they're not always relatively simple cases, but when these, these cases take years and years to uh, be resolved, they have such a tremendous impact. I mean, imagine the people who are separated from their families for years and sometimes decades because they're waiting for their visas or the families that are unable to, um, you know, pursue education or employment opportunities because they're waiting for um, their cases to wind through the system. And it just has a devastating impact, not only on the person whose case is stuck in the backlog, but on their families and on their communities. And we're all suffering again because of this.
0: Okay. Thank you so much, Professor Rana, for talking to us today so knowledgeably and so comprehensively about this que- this question of immigration. Um, and to our listening audience, thank you for listening to us on Civic Conversations. This is Jim Allison of the League of Women Voters, Bloomington Monroe County. The League is a nonpartisan, grassroots, citizen-led organization that's fought since 1920, over 100 years now, to improve our government and engage all citizens and the decisions that affect their lives. Next month, we'll be talking to two guests, Maggie Sullivan of the Friends of Lake Monroe and Michelle Cohen of the Lake Monroe Water Fund. And they'll be talking to us about the health of Lake Monroe waters, which is a question of supreme importance to everybody who lives in southern Indiana. Hope you can join us then.